1: My guest today is one of the most influential leaders in the National Football League. Not only as it relates to on the field issues, but also domestic violence, oppression, diversity and inclusion. Troy Vincent, a first round draft pick and a longtime NFL player who had his number retired by the Philadelphia Eagles, also served as president of the Players Association. In his role today, As the EVP of Football Operations, he oversees every aspect of the game that's played on the field. His creative thinking, his due diligence, and his empathy for the player and his impact on the game has been outstanding. We welcome Troy Vincent. Welcome, friends. I have one of the most impactful people that have worked with the National Football League, a Pensbury graduate. Now, I know Pensbury High School because I tried to recruit Tony Petruccio when I was at <laughs> Michigan, and, he, and Joe Paterno came in and cooked this Italian meal, and I couldn't get him to come north. He ended up going to state college. But uh, that program you went to in high school was renowned.
0: Good program. The late Coach Dundella yes. uh, was my high school coach. Uh, Brad Sharp was my basketball coach. Some wonderful years at Pensbury High School. Uh, my mom was going back and forth between Jersey and Pennsylvania. And we end up residing there my last two years of high school. And my godparents, James and Linda Biley. James is deceased now, but uh, what a wonderful experience I had. Life-changing experience. Um, that time at Pennsbury, they they kind of saw some things. I mean, I didn't see it myself. And some things came to pass, end up doing well as a student athlete, went on to Wisconsin. How did you select Wisconsin? It was the farthest school away from <laughs> Jersey, Pennsylvania. Everyone thought that, you know, okay, Joe Pa's not going to let him get out of the state. At the time, Mike Godfrey, God- Godfrey was the head coach at Pitt. Okay. And it was – Mom just thought it was just good for me to get away. I had committed to Coach McPherson at Syracuse. Oh, wow. That's where I thought, which is only about four and a half hours away from the house. And it was like, it's too close. You know, your friends can get in the car. You can come home. Not good. And it was like, okay, what's the farthest school? I said, well, there's a school called Wisconsin that's recruiting me. She said, okay, let's go take a visit there. I'm like, Mom, I don't even know what Wisconsin is. It's like 17 (laughs) hours away. Went there, had a great time. It was like, okay, this is where you're going to school. Coach Babbage, who's now with the Buffalo Bills, he was the recruiter there under Don Morton. Uh-huh. And went, and that's where I ended up. It was the best decision I made in my life, outside of being giving my life over to Christ and marrying and Tommy. But it was a wonderful experience. The people of Wisconsin are the best. Just great, genuine people embraced me.
1: And I had a great four years there. And then... Your impact in the National Football League was enormous. I mean, you played for a variety of teams. You're in the the Eagles Hall of Fame. So what was that like? I mean, you got you had played different teams. It wasn't like you just had one team. You had a variety of teams getting traded and, and all that. That's kind of a an- Well Jed, I was fortunate. You know,
0: I was drafted by the Miami Dolphins in the ninety two draft. I spent my first four years there under Coach Shula. Then I had an opportunity to become, I was tagged as a transition player, but I had an opportunity to test the free agency market. And every kid dreams about playing at home. Pinsbury High School is less than 15, 16 miles from Veterans Stadium at the time. And I had an opportunity to go play for Ray Rose, who was the head coach at the time. And to come home where my grandparents was able to see me play, my mother, friends and family. Signed there with Philly, played eight years there in Philly, some, some wonderful years, won a lot of football games, both in Miami and in Philly. Then I became my contract ended. I had an opportunity to stay in Philly. Most don't know that. I had an opportunity to stay in Philly. But at that time, there was some good young talent, people like Brian Dawkins, Sheldon Brown, Lito Shepard. These young men were coming into their own. And as long as I was still in that locker room, Brian Dawkins was not going to be the leader that he was called to be at that time, Sheldon Brown, great leader, good football player. And they had been under, let's just say, my veteran leadership for a few years. It was time. Joe Banner, Jeffrey Laurie had came to me about signing to finish my, my pro experience there. I call it pro experience because football is not a career to say, Hey, Troy, we'd like for you to finish here as an Eagle, but it was important that Bryant Sheldon and Leto those individuals grew into to the leaders that they were. Then I went on to play in Buffalo for three years, and I ended up finishing up in Washington. So it was a great 15 years of playing experience. Part of that, I call it part of my life's journey. It was wonderful on the field, met some great people. I mean, I had an opportunity to play for Joe Gibbs, Andy Reid, Don Shula, Ray Rhodes. I mean, come on, I mean, I was just fortunate with some great position coaches, Jerry Gray, Emmett Thomas, Mel Phillips. I mean, I had the best. So I had no other choice but to be a student. I mean, but to be a student of the game and play the game as we would say the way it's supposed to be played. You show up every day, you compete,
1: and you play to win. You also got involved with the Players Association, began making a huge impact, replaced uh, Trace Armstrong, running the association. Talk a little bit about how that experience has helped develop you as well in terms of what you're doing today and some of the things you've advocated for. Yes, so Jed, it might have been my second year I got involved with the Players Association.
0: Obviously, these are voluntary positions. I became a player rep. My grandma used to always say, I don't want to hear you complain. I don't want to see you on the phone talking about what should have or what could have. as she would say to me, get off the sideline and participate. And at that time, I was just learning under Gene's uh, leadership, under Tracy's leadership. I was a player rep for many years, became executive vice president for, I think, two, two terms. And then eventually I was voted in as president. It was invaluable because it was, I took pride in, and I was intentional about teaching the locker room and educating the locker room across all 30 or 32 clubs at one time, 30 and 32 about their your, the player rights, about hours, wages, and working conditions. That was important to me. That was important to make sure that the player and the parents were informed about their rights. And then having a partnership, that was really important. Because all of those things kind of tie back into what I do today. There's things that we agree on that we disagree. When I say we, that was the players and management. But there's one common theme. It's the game and the fans. So once, you know, there may be things that you dislike or you like, but the one thing we always have to get mind and keep in mind is what's the centerpiece? Why are we here? It's the game. And it's the people that we affect, the communities that we affect. Throughout that time and that process, just learning how to negotiate. At that time, I was part of, of four CBA extensions. They were much shorter at that time. So learning the CBA, learning how it works, just having a partnership, which is critical, a partnership makes it work. No one wants to hear about millionaires, millionaires and billionaires squabble about money. They want to see us compete. They want to see us have a, a partnership so that the players can play, the investors can earn on their investment, and the fans can enjoy that, that game day experience. So it was just that whole time. So 13 years of my NFL playing experience, I was part of that labor force. So how do you end up in the NFL league office? I get asked that question often. I leave. I run for the executive director position with the Players Association. I lose that election. And I'm thinking, you know, maybe there's an opportunity to, to serve under D. Or maybe there's an opportunity to serve in some capacity. On what I had been doing for for so many years, well, that didn't happen. About six months, maybe six to eight months after the election, Commissioner had called and asked, "What was I? You know, what was I doing at that time?" I was working with Coach Dungey. We were doing some things at yep. the collegiate level, and Jed, Mike Haynes, yes, Mike Haynes had had prostate cancer. had came down with prostate cancer at that time. Right. Right. So that role here at the National Football League, there was a void. And commissioner has said, "Hey, Mike Haynes is ill. There may be a position open. Uh, would you consider it?" And it was inside of player engagement at the time, player development. Applied for the position, interviewed for the position, started off four years and three, three or four years in player engagement, and then transitioned over to game day operations or football operations.
1: And, and, and during this period of time, though, you've built an incredible relationship with the commissioner. I mean, the two of you. Seem like you walk in step in terms of how you relate to one another, uh, issues that may be difficult, but that you're able to discuss with them.
0: I always say I serve the commissioner's office. I have my non negotiables on things that I believe in, but I serve the commissioner. Never try to get in front of them. My role, like my other colleagues as executive vice presidents here, is to make sure that the commissioner is properly informed to make the most informed decision, which is in best interest for the game. So over time, we've developed, I would believe, and I hope that he would uh, say the same thing, a good trusting relationship. It's all about trust. It's all about serving the game and making sure and serving the game, making sure it's it's about the player. It's about club ownership and us all working
1: together. One of the other pieces I've been impressed with is you go back to your background, some of the things that you had to deal with as it relates to domestic violence, and the way you've been able to build your own foundation, and how you've grown, what you do, and how you've given back. Uh, It's it's incredible. I mean, that's one of the things I look around. I don't know how many people can have can say that they've done and are as committed as you are. I mean, you talk about your belief in the Lord. And how impactful that's been. But in terms of how you've impacted people across different demographics, uh, talk a little bit about that. I mean, well, yeah,
0: that, that, I mean, that's what it's all about. At the end of the day, it's about serving others and using our platform to serve others. That is one of my non negotiables. At the age of 16, when I gave my life to Christ, I also made a commitment and a promise to my mother that for the rest of my life, I would commit myself to ending domestic violence and sexual assault. I grew up, you know, from as far as I can remember, five, six, growing up with uh, blood, um, visiting hospitals, visiting my mother in a hospital. And as I got older and mature, I realized that was something that I did not wanna be. And I made that commitment. So from 16 to now, now it's a family, it's a family affair. So my wife and our five children, even our grandchildren are involved with the community. So domestic violence, sexual assault, and then bridging the educational gap. Love Thy Neighbors our foundation, my wife's and I foundation. We've had that since the early 90s. And it's about bridging the educational gap, the wealth gap across the country. We started off in Trenton, New Jersey, and we've grown that. And in the individual cities, we adopt schools, elementary schools, again, to build and bridge that digital divide, that educational gap. But it's about serving others. It's the power about the power of one, and as the Bible tells us, "What have you done for the least of them?" So we have committed ourselves. We're intentional about service. We don't pass judgment. It's about loving people, showing empathy to people, and just trying
1: to do our part in making the world a better place to live. The other piece that you and I have discussed often is the diversity issue as it relates to coaches in the National Football League. Uh, The fact that you know, when you look around, we've got six out of 32 that are diversity individuals that are running teams. Uh, we had seven new hires this year to our diversity. And then when you look at coordinators, you know there are only several new diversity coordinators. I had a meeting with Bruce Arians a couple of weeks ago, and to me, he and Bill Walsh are kind of the model people as it relates to pushing and advocating and mentoring candidates. Potentially, can be head coaches. Diversity is a fact;
0: inclusion is a choice. This particular season, there was some progress. When you look at the totality of the hiring, when you look at coordinators, special teams, defensive coordinators, didn't see the results that we had hoped for at the head coaching round. But when you look at all of the other positions, there were the quality of interviews the number of people, it was a good, it was, it gave us hope, gives us all hope, but it's our issue. When we start talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion, each of us have a role to play in inclusion because it's a choice. We got to continue to educate. We got to continue to identify, develop talent. We got to make sure we're still addressing our gender issues. There's some gender equality that we still got a long way to go. I'm just one of many people. Chairman Rooney, uh, the commissioner, Deja Smith, Jonathan Bean, our chief diversity officer. Collectively, we're all working together with the coaches. Coach Reed, Coach Aarons you referenced. There are many coaches. Ron Rivera. You have to be committed in this area. and You have to be intentional. You got to have a plan. You can't point fingers because it's our issue. And we only can control what we can control. That starts with club education. That starts with each club, league office, having a diversity, equity, and inclusion plan. That begins with identifying talent, developing talent, policy changes. Many don't talk about it, but when we see the progress that was made, we look at our mobility policy. Mm -hmm. For decades, you had a lack of movement that primarily affected men of color, Black men. Those policy changes gave room and gave way for mobility, the adjustments of the Rooney year, year in and year out. It produced fruit. We look at our media policy, having um, the men be more available so that other people can see them. So all of these things factored in. We, We have a universal data gathering. So now we're all looking at the same data. And then our reporting and our measuring on how we measure this. So we got a comprehensive plan that was put in place by Deja and Jonathan Bean and Chairman Rooney. Uh, the commissioner has been committed in this area for many
1: years. Yes. So it's work in progress. I'm I mean, happy to be involved. Absolutely. I mean, you've been a, you've been spearheading it, I mean, based on your beliefs and, and what you've achieved. So you, you just had uh, meetings with the ownership group, adding a game, some potential rule changes. So as you look at the National Football League going forward, what do you think are some of the things you're really excited about? And do you see any challenges?
0: Yeah. So what I'm excited about is the possibilities. You know, just a year and a half ago, we finished, we finished 100 years of professional football. And we saw the growth. But then we look at, man, where, where is it going? We look at the inclusion of women. We look at technology and tradition versus innovation. People say, well, what, what's the greatest challenge? It's tradition versus innovation. You saw ownership voted on the 17-game regular season. Man, that's creating some matchups there, give you some, some flexibility in scheduling. Some teams and, and fans uh, have an opportunity to see games and players to, to play games that you typically would not have an opportunity to play. I think the future is rich internationally. Also, with that, it, it gives us some flexibility potentially To schedule more games internationally, I think the sky's the limit. There, when we look at our UK academy Mm -hmm. and start identifying international players, now you start talking about globalizing your sport. I just think where we are with technology, as we look at like next gen stats and how analytics is now kind of everything we see fully integrated into the game. So I'm, I'm excited about where we are on player health and safety now here's an individual where i would say many of the things i taught were were, were taught were not right and i'm the first to stand in line the way i was taught to play the game with bad intentions with ill intentions seeing the advancement with our led by dr york and the health and safety committee the advancement of technology with helmets and shoulder pads and shoes. It's refreshing. It's refreshing as a gatekeeper to be able to talk to parents and educate parents on where the game was as it pertains to player protection and where it is today. Even talking to my young sons. Now I have granddaughters and grandsons. I can honestly now talk to parents about it's a different game and really ask the question, why isn't your child playing football? There's so many values that the game affords you. So, the advancement of, again, the health and safety, the player protection, the technology, it's a good time. It's a good time. Good young talent. You see these quarterbacks now coming in here, flinging that ball around. Great young defensive talent. So, I'm excited
1: about where the game is going. What's your sense of the younger generation in terms of participating in football? You talk about educating the parents. Uh, you're, you're involved with Pop Warner. Uh, how, how do we continue to build that pipeline of potential individuals that want to engage in the game? So we got to continue to keep, we're competing against a whole lot of different things
0: now. You know, I've got a teenage, some teen, teenage twins, and I'm competing against technology, soccer, lacrosse, video games. It's about us as legends. It's about the coaches. It's about the entire football community marketing, promoting, driving awareness around this fantastic game that's played on Friday nights, Saturdays, Sundays, Mondays, and Thursdays. We got to drive that fandom again. Now, coming out of this pandemic, I'm not sure if America or the country of the world will ever be the same, but we learned some things over the last year. We learned how to function. We learn how to do things a little differently, a little bit more efficiently. Now we got to go back and make sure those who were playing the game, they're still playing. It. And then introduce the game to that new audience. Hey, OK, you're that parent with that five or six or seven year old. Your son or daughter's now thinking about some some sport activities. Why not football and share the benefits of the game to that parent or to that family or in particular to that kid?
1: During the pandemic that you referenced, what were one or two things that really made it very almost impossible to play? You, got, you were able to not cancel a game. You played the whole game. it was stuff.
0: all about teamwork. And I must say it was all about teamwork. Individuals from the players, the coaches, the medical staff. We followed the science. We followed the medical guidelines. But this was just people working together. We knew it wasn't going to be perfect. We said that in the outset, from the outset. This was about us working together. The equity piece, it wasn't gonna be fair. We saw that throughout the season, but we followed the science, the protocols by Dr. Seals and his team that were put together. Don Aponte, Larry Verisani. It was a great team effort in Union, D and, and Commissioner working together to play 256 games in 17 weeks was extraordinary, but it takes an entire community. It takes a partnership. It takes people being flexible. It takes us empathy. No one's doing this to try to harm you. And we just followed the guidelines. We followed the guidelines and we, it was isolate, contain schedule. We got through it. But again, once we figured out right around, with the contact tracing taking place right around week six, week five, week six, we kind of found our groove with the contact tracing. Then it came down to identify where the issue is, isolate the issue. Once you contain it, now you can schedule because you can get the people out. You can isolate those individuals that may have been affected or may who may be at high risk, uh, high risk close contact. And now you can properly schedule it. But that takes constant communication with the club, starting with the club owner, with the player, with the head coach, constant communication. And you nav- we navigated ourselves through it. And it was a successful season, a record-paced season. You look at points, margin of victory, touchdown scored,
1: last to first, new teams in the playoffs. I mean, it was a phenomenal year on the field two things you're the most proud of that you've achieved so far in your career. I mean you're still a young person. <laughs> there's still a lot of there's still a lot of Troy Vincent left to impact in our society. What have I what am I most proud of? I
0: would one being able I would just say just to serve the game. I love coming to work cuz I love the game. I love serving the 32 club owners. I love serving the next generation. Jed, I just love serving the game and, and the men who have played it, the men who have coached it, and being able to give back to preserve the great game that has been established. I would say that's really, that's the greatest accomplishment. It is it's just being part of a phenomenal team under great leadership, doing what I love to do, is serving the
1: game of football. Your energy and passion and what you've done is remarkable. And I, we, we've met because of our sons being at IMG, and you didn't mention being a father, because I see the way you care about <laughs> your, your, your children and, and what they mean to you. And it, it's amazing how you treat people. It, it's it's incredible. I'm, and you you, you got to look back at your mom and the way she worked with you and helped develop you. And wow. I mean, I, I look at you and so impressed with the things you've done and how humble you yet are. I hope that
0: I'm an example of my grandfather who raised me, who was a World War II veteran, Jefferson Vincent, and my grandmother, Julia Vincent, and my mom, Alma. I just hope that they're proud of what um, who I am today. And I just try to be an example to my, my, my three boys and my two daughters of what we can be. I hope they're proud of their father hope they're proud of the individual that I've become. I hope that my wife is proud of our relationship. We've been together now 27 years, and we just want to be a living example, a family. We're not perfect; we have our flaws, and I just hope that uh, again, my grandparents, my godparents, my mother, that they're proud of who Troy is today as a father, as a husband, as a grandfather,
1: uncle, nephew, so and a friend. Well, I really appreciate you coming on with our listeners and being part of this, and uh, really respect all you've accomplished, and look forward to watching your career and your impact on our society. So, thanks well, thank for. You. Thanks for having me.